We have come as far as John 15, 26. And it says there, but, <clears throat> we'll talk about why it says but, but when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. And you also shall bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. Now these things have I spoken unto you, that you should not be offended. They shall put you out of the synagogue, yea, and the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he is doing God a service. And these things will I do unto you, will they do unto you, because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things have I told you, that when the time shall come, that you may remember that I told you them. And these things I said not unto you at the beginning, but because I was with you. But now I go my way to him that sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your hearts. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. So the Lord now begins to speak as he had been more of the future, not just of what was happening that night, not just the things he wanted them to understand, not just abiding, but now he's saying, this is what you're headed into. This is what's ahead of you. Not only the hatred of the world that we might experience to one degree or another, but persecution from the religious world as well. And he doesn't want them to think that, you know, he's departing. He, he's gone. And now they're embroiled in this difficult situation with worldly hatred and religious persecution. He doesn't want them to think he's gone. And, and he left us here in the middle of all of this. He wants them to understand that they don't face the task he's given them alone, that they're not alone. And he says there's a provision here that the Father has made. In chapter 14, verse 16, it says, I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you wonderfully forever. Down in verse 26 of 14, it says, But the comforter which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father, notice, will send in my name. He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Now here, in verse 26, it says, But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send to you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, <clears throat> he shall testify of me, 
And over then in verse 7, again, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. So John, in these last few verses, four times speaking of the Holy Spirit, says, the Comforter, the Comforter, the Comforter. In the midst of hatred and persecution, God is saying, I haven't left you alone. And in the middle of all of that, I've made this miraculous provision that the Spirit of Truth, the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, will come and he's going to abide with you forever. John, this tender you know, man thinking of that night, he gives, he's the only one who gives us these great details of this night, over and over speaking of the Comforter, this title, the Comforter, he, he comes alongside to put his shoulder under the burden to help us. He's the comforter. Sometimes the word is used in a courtroom of someone who's defending you. He's the comforter in the sense that he's our helper. Sometimes the translation counselor, our advocate, the one who comes alongside of us. But the, the center of the word seems to be well translated, the comforter. Because in this world, I don't know about you, I'm looking for a little comfort. I'm not finding much in the news. I'm not finding much in this 72-year-old bag of bones. You know, I'm not finding it in places I'd like to find it. But I find more and more to sit in his presence and to experience the presence of the Lord through his Holy Spirit. It's comforting. And, and as he talks about that, he's, he's giving it in this context. He is both our defense and our offense, this comforter. He's our defense in the sense that, first of all, personally, some days I just need that. Lord, I feel like such a jerk. Lord, I feel like I've fallen short. Lord, I can't believe I'm still struggling with this or that. And the comforter comes to me and says, no, your sins are paid for. It's been taken care of. You know, stronger than mountains, new every morn. My sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. And he is to me a comforter in that sense. But he is also not just defense, he's offense, because he's telling, you're going to go face this world, who I love, that hates me, You're going to face this religious system who really doesn't know me or my father. And they're going to persecute you. But I haven't abandoned them. I've made a remarkable provision for you that you can go and then offensively in the sense of witnessing, you're not left to do it alone. There's an unction. There's a power. There's there's a way to, you know, to be in contact with this hateful religious persecuting world. Look for all of us. So, you know, this morning, 2,000 years after this has taken place, but it's applicable to us as well. You know, Jesus spoke to the apostles in Acts chapter 1 and said, wait in Jerusalem until you're endued with power that you might be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, but then to the uttermost parts of the earth, Calvary Chapel, 2,000 years from now. 
Peter, again, after the crippled man is healed, it says he stands up to speak to the Sanhedrin, and it says Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, class condition, a fresh new filling. He was filled on Pentecost. This was a fresh new filling. Tells us in chapter 4 of Acts, I think around verse 31, that they, they asked the Lord, you know, give us boldness that we might share the gospel of Christ and so forth. And it says the place where they were was shaken. We could use a little of that. The place where they were was shaken and they were all filled, fresh new filling. These guys are guys that were filled several times before. A fresh new filling. We love free refills, right? Spirit-filled, condition, spirit-filled Christian is not a title, it's a condition. And I can be in the flesh, I can be a carnal Christian, I, can, I do do things I shouldn't do, and I think things I shouldn't think sometimes. But more and more, you know, I'm just saying, Lord, let me be yielded to you. Let me be filled with you, Lord. What am I... You know, in regards to the Holy Spirit when it comes to my wife or to my children or to my grandchildren. What am I, Lord, when it comes to the Holy Spirit in regards to my neighbors or the people that I work with or my boss or my employees or my friends? Lord, if if I'm to be witness or testimony, I can't do it without your Holy Spirit. We can study the scripture, you know, we can philosophize about religion But what he's saying to you and I today is you cannot face the world that you are living in today without the power of the Holy Spirit in your lives. I didn't say that. Jesus said it. If you don't like it, lump it. (laughs) He said it. And then remarkably here, he says, but when, now it's but, because he just talked about the hatred of the world, but... When the comforter is come, notice this, he says, whom I will send. In chapter 14, verse 26, he says, the father will send him. Here he says, whom I will send unto you. Notice, from the father, even the spirit of truth. Then he says, which precedeth. It's a timeless present tense which is continually proceeding from the foundation of the world. The Spirit is part of the the Trinity. He says, which proceedeth always, the idea is continually, from the Father, he, masculine gender, emphatic, he, he's the one that shall testify of me. And you also, because the Spirit will come, shall bear witness of me. And then he says, because you have been with me, from the beginning. So there is a specific way it relates to the apostles. Luke chapter 1 tells us, For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, even as they delivered them unto us, which were from the beginning eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. So certainly those that were with him from the beginning in that sense. Uh, The apostles have specific testimony to give. And again, in chapter 1 of the book of Acts, when they're looking for someone to replace Judas, it says, Wherefore, of these men which have companied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, 
beginning from the baptism of John unto the same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be, um, uh, one, one must be ordained to be with us. The idea is from the beginning. So he says to the, the guys here, he says, you also are going to bear witness of me because you have been with me from the beginning. Certainly the apostles in the book of Acts. Certainly the apostles laying the foundation of the church, prophets and apostles. Certainly the apostles whose names are written in the, in the foundation stones of heaven. Certainly the apostles who demonstrate their ministry with signs and wonders as well. They are going to bear witness. But then as, as we watch through the book of Acts, deacons being filled with the Spirit, other people being filled with the Spirit, down through the centuries, how many filled with the Spirit, that promise to us as well. And look, this morning, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit for 2,000 years, through the centuries, there are more Christians sitting in church this morning than in any time in history. There are more Christians filled with the Spirit today than in any time in history. There are more Christians hearing the word taught today than in any time in history. The work of the Holy Spirit has been effectual. Certainly he's the primary witness, but it tells us here, in spite of all of the difficulty that the Holy Spirit is going to witness through you and I, through them to the lost world. So he says, these things have I spoken unto you that, here's the purpose, that you should not be offended. Some of your translations say that you should not stumble. Uh, it, it's more than that. The word is used in different ways, but specifically here, he's saying, I've told you these things because I don't want you to be ensnared. I don't want you to be entrapped. He uses a specific word that speaks of the stick that held a trap open that had the bait attached to it, that when the animal took the bait, they were ensnared, they were trapped, they fell into the trap. And he's saying to you and I and to these apostles, I'm telling you these things ahead of time so that when they happen, I don't want you to be entrapped. I don't want you to get snared in that. Persecution is going to come. And it's going to come from the religious world. It's going to come from Israel. It's going to come from the Sanhedrin. It's going to come from the system you grew up in and trusted. And the world that we're living in today, I don't have to tell you about the hatred the world has for us. But the religious world also has made a sharp left somewhere. And now we want to hug every other religion in the world. We want to hug every other morality in the world. We want to hug every other behavior in the world. But Christians who believe what the Bible says are fundamentalist and extremist. I'm going to be one till Jesus comes. But that's... You know, that's going to come to you and I in greater and greater measure until the Lord comes from the religious world as well. So he says, I've told you these things because I don't want to see you get ensnared. I don't want to see you be trapped in regards to that. He says, now this is what will happen. <clears throat> they shall put you out of the synagogue, excommunication. Yea, the time 
cometh, that whosoever killeth you will think that he's doing God a service. And these things will they do unto you because they have not known the Father, nor have they known me. So he says, look, this is where it's going to go. You know, Saul of Tarsus, one of the main persecutors of the church. You look at, you know, James beheaded. You go into the book of Acts and you see the things that happened to them there. And it started early, undoubtedly. The Talmud, an ancient Jewish writing from the time, tells us there were 24 offenses punishable by excommunication. There were 24 things you could do to get yourself kicked out of the synagogue. And there were three levels of excommunication. The ultimate one was being cut off. That's the idea here, being banned. And understand, you're in a country, Israel, where everybody believes the same thing, where everybody's part of the same system, where everybody's relationship to others depends on that, where everybody's employment depends on that. And he says, this is what's going to happen. They're going to throw you out. You're going to be banned. And more than that, they're going to kill you. And think when they kill you that they're doing God a service. Saul of Tarsus thought that. They think when they kill you, they're serving God. They're doing something. The word service only used in a religious context in the New Testament. Um, hard to believe. But he says they're, they're going to be so twisted in one direction, they're going to think... They're making God happy by killing you. And, and it's insanity because human sacrifice was an abomination in the Old Testament. It was not permitted. And now he said, but this is where their mind's going to go. They're actually going to think they're going to they're ban some of you and throw you out, excommunicate you. And others, they're going to kill you. And they're going to think when they kill you, they're doing God a favor, a service. That, there, that it's religious duty for them to be killing you. <clears throat> he says, but these things have I told you for that when the time, your translation may say their time, when the time shall come, you may remember that I have told you of them. And these things I said not unto you at the beginning because I was with you. So he says, I'm telling you these things, or I've told you, perfect tense, I've told you them, you're still hearing them. You and I this morning, he told them we are still hearing what he said. And he said to them, so that you might remember, that's a present tense, you might be remembering, you might keep in your mind you may think about, you may bring to mind, you may be continually remembering. The idea is that I told you these things and that you're not offended. He doesn't want us to be taken out when this comes remarkably. Um, and he's warning them in light of his imminent departure. Look, it will be that night. From here, he goes to Gethsemane. He's taken by the soldiers. Goes through a series of trials. Is nailed to the cross. And he's warning them in light of his imminent departure because he's saying, you're going to need the Holy Spirit 
to understand what all of this means and the fact that you're going to end up hated and persecuted. I didn't tell you these things at the beginning because I was with you. And everywhere they went, the hatred was against him. No, they weren't threatening to kill the disciples. They were threatening to kill Jesus. But he says, so I didn't tell you this at the beginning. I was there. But now I'm going to go. And the hatred that the world and the religious world might have towards me, they're going to have towards you. I won't be here, but you will be here as my disciples, he says to them. And he warns them, just like he warns us about his imminent return. He warns them about his imminent departure. And he says, you need the Holy Spirit to, to translate this to your heart and mind. So you understand the weight of it. He also speaks to us, one out of four verses in the Bible, 25% is prophecy. He speaks to us and warns us of his imminent return. It was his imminent departure there. Then it, now it's going to be his imminent return. And you and I need the Holy Spirit. I do. Speak for myself. That way you don't have to be honest about yourself. I need the Holy Spirit daily in traffic, in circumstances that stink, when I might have to do something for somebody else I really don't want to do. You know, I need the Holy Spirit to remind me I could come in this hour. I'm coming in an hour you think not. There's an imminent return as well. And in the context of all of that, you know, he's saying here, and the religious world's going to play a part. Now, it begins with the religious world. It ends with the religious world, persecution. Revelation chapter 17, verse 6, John would write that he saw the religious system drunk with the blood of the saints and of the martyrs of Jesus Christ. It, we're headed there to where the great religious system, again, is going to slaughter multitudes in the name, supposedly, of what they believe. But it's interesting, he says, I didn't tell you ahead of time, but I'm telling you now. This is when you need to know. And we look at that, we think, well, Jesus fortifies us when we need to be fortified. Jesus hands us our armor right before the battle. He extends grace to us when grace is needed. Interesting, Corey Tenboon said, you know, in the midst of the, the Nazis taking over Europe and the different things that were going on, and just saying to her father, I, I, I'm not sure I have the strength for this and so forth. And her father said, Corey, when you go into town, when do I give you the money for the train fare? And she said, Father, you give it to me right when I leave. And he said, so God will give you the grace right when you need it. And he's saying to them his grace here. I'm telling you this now so you'll know. You'll understand. I didn't tell you before because the hatred was toward me. It's going to come towards you now. And he always, if we are filled with his spirit and led of his spirit, we're in love with his word, he will always provide what we need in the moment that we need it provided because he loves us. He's committed to us. He says here then, in verse 5, he said, But now 
I go my way to him that sent me. He's returning to the sender. Numerous times through John's gospel, he says, the father who sent me. I'm going my way to him that sent me. And none of you are asking me, whither goest thou? I'm going my way to the Father. None of you are asking me where I'm going. Now, some try to say, well, Peter said, Lord, wherever you go and I'll follow you anywhere. In chapter 13, chapter 14, uh, Thomas said, Lord, uh, we don't know the way. How do we know where to go? But in both of those passages, They're asking the Lord about following him, his departure. They are not asking about his destination. He has to talk to them about that. And Jesus here is talking to them. His departure is not something that he is looking for as a means to his own personal benefit. His departure will be to the benefit of his disciples and of you and I here this morning. Because he's not come to die. That's not what he's accomplishing. He came to fulfill a mission, for sure. But that mission was the cross, the resurrection, the ascension, and the sending forth of the Holy Spirit. And he said, I'm leaving, but none of you are asking me, where are you going? He says, I'm going back to the Father. You know, he says, behold, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you to myself. They're not getting it. And he tells us in verse six why he says, he says, and because I have said these things to you about departing, sorrow hath filled your heart. Now, the only time in John's gospel we have this word sorrow is here in verse six, verse 20, 21 and 22. It says, verily, verily. I say unto you that you shall weep and lament. The world shall rejoice and you shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in travail, hath sorrow because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for joy that a man is born into the world. And you now, you now, therefore, have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice at your joy no man will take from you. So John, this 90-year-old apostle, <clears throat> remembers so clear that night, being himself overwhelmed with sorrow. He leaned on Jesus' breast. Over and over, he tells us he's the disciple that Jesus loved. And this... This teaching, what Jesus is saying in the upper room, is still ringing in his ears. And he said, you haven't asked me where I'm going. And he says, it's because sorrow, mourning, grieving, brokenness, because sorrow hath filled your hearts. That that is a perfect aorist indicative. It's filled your heart to the point where there's room for nothing else. Your hearts are completely filled with this sorrow. There's no room for anything else. You're you're overwhelmed and obsessing on what I'm saying about leaving. And so there's no room for anything else. But, verse 7, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for me to go away. 
Here's the truth. Your heart is filled with sorrow. You're struggling through these things. Sorrow has filled your hearts. And that sorrow specific to him departing, John remembers that. But he says in verse 7, nevertheless, despite all of that, he says, I, for myself, emphatic, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not, double negative, will not, not, will not ever, no way, come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. So Jesus says, now in light of all that, he said, nevertheless, he says, I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm speaking truth to you. It's expedient. It's beneficial. It's necessary. It's profitable for you. The, the Greek has the idea of bringing things together. This is causing profit for you. This is beneficial for you. It's expedient that I go, he says, because if I don't go, the comforter won't come. And, he, you know, Remarkably, when you think about it, what he's saying is my physical presence here and then departing to the Father where I can say mission accomplished will not, if I just stayed here so you guys wouldn't be sad, it wouldn't accomplish as much as me leaving and then the Spirit coming which is going to touch the entire world. I'm with you for a short time. The spirit of truth, when he comes, will abide with you forever. The spiritual advantage you will have is not my physical presence, but then the coming of the spirit. Jesus said in John 14, I have been with you. I shall be in you. Romans chapter 8 verse 9 speaks of the Holy Spirit as the spirit of Christ. Philippians chapter 1 verse 19 speaks of the Holy Spirit as the spirit of Jesus Christ. And he says it's expedient, it's necessary, it's beneficial. This is how you're going to be benefited. I'm telling you the truth. I need to go because if I don't, the Holy Spirit won't come. And we would never be the testimony we should be. This is why in John 14 he said... You know, and greater things than these will you do, he said to the disciples. Look, the whole world sucks. Here we are, 2,000 years later, sitting here this morning because of the work of the Holy Spirit. And, and it's a sobering thought here. He's also saying that you and I have greater spiritual privilege than those who lived and walked with him. That was all about getting to the point where the spirit would be poured out. You and I this morning here have the Holy Spirit accessible. When you and I were saved and born again, the Holy Spirit baptized into the mystical body of Christ. We're all baptized by one spirit. Then as time goes by, filling and fresh filling of the Holy Spirit 
to perform ministry, service, our testimony. Literally, it's martyrs here, the testimony. So he says, we have that advantage. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and now to the uttermost parts of the earth. Here we are this morning, and you think, what he's talking to them about is, you know, is the simple gospel of Jesus Christ that a lost world needs to hear. And because he says, I'm not abandoning the world, but I'm sending my Holy Spirit so you can be witnesses, take advantage of that situation. It's, it's expedient for me to go so that the comforter can come. Because if I don't go, there's no way he's ever going to come. I'll go by the cross, the resurrection, the ascension, and when I get to the throne of my Father, I will send the Holy Spirit, Pentecost, and Pentecost after Pentecost through the history of the church. So here we are. Um, Where are you with the Holy Spirit? Our religion is not just a set of doctrines, though it is. It's not this word faith heresy that's spreading around the church. It's not social justice. It's not politics. The gospel we have is the coming and the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension, and the return of Jesus Christ. That's the good news. And when we make it more complicated than that, it gets watered down. But the Holy Spirit is coming to bear witness of those things, of those things. Where are you as you share with your friends or your kids or the, the, the people you're living with? God loves them. Those that are lost, he loves them. Those that are saved, he loves them. And we're in a hateful world. And there's all kinds of trouble around. But when you come, you're speaking a message of another world from another world. It is not about, his kingdom's not of this world. We are speaking a message from another world, the Holy Spirit will be sent, and that message is of another world. That he's died, he's risen, he's returning, his kingdom goes on forever. Our kids need to understand that, because social media is eating away at them with every other thing. And you think if you just sit and reason with this, you know, that you're going to win that argument? You're not. You're not going to win that argument except through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the kids know, you know, they have a baloney meter. They know when something real is happening and they want it. They're looking for it. They want to know about Jesus in a real way. Not church, not Calvary Chapel, but Jesus Christ, his love, his crucifixion, his resurrection, his return. They want to hear it with power. They want it to touch their hearts. They're looking in all of the wrong places. The people you work with, the people that you love, the people that are lost around you. It's not going to happen without the power of the Holy Spirit. This great provision that God has made for us. Next week, we'll, if the Lord tarries, we'll see exactly what he's going to do as he comes. But he tells us this morning, he's yours. I'm leaving so he can come. I'm going to pay for your sin on the cross so the Holy Spirit can come because he'll only enter into a clean regenerate heart. He can't come till my work is done. 
When you're forgiven and saved, then you make a proper dwelling for the Holy Spirit. Amen? So I encourage you, we're going to stand, we're going to worship. If you feel like you need a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit, this is the best Sunday in your life to ask for it. That, ever. Um, I encourage you to come to prayer tonight because part of what we pray tonight, besides Igor and Paul giving us an update on the Ukraine, they're back now. Tonight we want to pray about the Holy Spirit. We want to ask the Lord for revival. We want to ask him for a fresh outpouring and an in-gathering. And I encourage you to come and to pray with us. But let's stand now. Let's pray together. We just ain't going to do it without the Holy Ghost. That's what I should have called the message. We just ain't going to do it without the Holy Ghost. Lord, I know you've overheard. And Lord, we can assent to this. We can agree to it, Lord. We can say, I understand. I, I hear the word. But Lord, we need reality. We need a subjective sense of all of this, Lord. We need you to fill us afresh, Lord, in these last days. With all of the hatred, all of the persecution, all the insanity that surrounds us that seems to be growing every day, coming like a tidal wave. You said when wickedness comes in like a flood, you would lift up a standard. Lord, lift it up in us, in our lives, through your Holy Spirit. We believe, Lord, that we're praying according to your will. So fill us afresh this morning, this evening, Lord. We look to you and we pray in your name, Lord Jesus, and for your glory.